again, friends, and welcome to another episode of Nexter Presents. Today, Grant's talking with Ryan Johnson, the owner of Mount View Landscaping in Drumbo. Ryan grew up cutting grass for his dad's company. In 1997, he started Johnson Lawn Services, and in 2002, he began Mount View Landscaping with a partner. He's currently transitioning his company to a part employee ownership. On this episode, Ryan talks about the evolution of Mount View, about continuing education for himself and his staff, about teaching your staff to read profit and loss and balance sheets, about staff retention and company culture, about transitioning the company to employee ownership, and about exit strategies. It is a smorgasbord of information today, folks. So grab a plate, loosen your belt, and get ready for a feast. Here's Grant's conversation with Ryan Johnson. Awesome. Thanks, Ryan. Um, just want to thank you so much uh, for joining us today on the podcast. So, Ryan, uh, why don't you start us off with how you got involved in the landscape industry? Yeah, thanks, Grant. Um, yeah, so started when I was a young boy. My father had a job working in a factory in London, and he was a shift worker. And as a result, he did three days on, three off, three nights, three off, and had a lot of time on his hands. So he started cutting grass for people when I was a little kid. So from the time I was about 12 or 13 years of age, I used to go up to go out after school and on weekends and cut grass because that's what my dad wanted to do on his days off when he was bored. So, so I grew up cutting grass and spent most of my life on a lawnmower, I think. Awesome. Just like many of us, a little bit of slave, uh, slave labor as far as the kid goes. So very good. Um, so kind of give us a little bit of more history on how Mountain View started, um, some of the service area, size of the company, kind of give us an indication of what the company looks like today. Sure. Uh, so, so my father had a part-time business and then um, I grew up in a little village called Drumbo and growing up cutting grass as a teenager, I said I was not going to live in a small town and cut grass the rest of my life. So I went off to university and got a degree. I went to Laurentian University because it was six hours away from home and got a degree in political science. Graduated from there at the same time my father had some issues with um, with his hip. He had some mobility problems and asked me if I'd come back and run the you know the summer business for him for, for another year. So I did that. At the time I think we had three lawnmowers and that was that was a big deal for us. So did that for a year for him. That winter I was supposed to go find my career. Was looking around for work and trying to find something. His role, the, the business where he was working, changed where he was going to be uh, nine to five, five days a week, and wasn't going to be able to run the business at all. So he had to kind of give it up. So I hadn't found my career yet. So I just took over the business he had and decided to try and grow from there. So that was in 1997. I started Johnson's Lawn Service. Um, did that for a few years and uh, had a friend of mine who had gone to, to Guelph University and then Kwanlin College in BC and was in landscape construction working for somebody else, wanted to be employed on his own. So him and I formed a partnership to do landscape construction. And that's where Mount View Landscaping was formed. That was the name of his family farm. So, so we started that in 2002, I believe. And then every year we've grown just a little bit more every year and do a bit more every year. And here we are. What were you hoping the career was going to be? Um, so when I first went to university, I was going to study public or international relations and wanted to be like an international lawyer and, uh, got into international relations and international law and discovered there wasn't such a thing as international law. It's just kind of whatever's convenient for states at the time. And, and I think maybe some of my professors didn't jive with me that well. So I, 
I ended up in public policy, which sounds really dull even when I say it, but I really enjoyed public policy and policy formation and public budgeting systems. And so I, uh, I kind of went down that path and yeah, just ended up cutting grass in a small town. Cutting grass in a small town. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like a bit of a stretch between those two worlds. So yep. very good. So you're located in Drumbo, which is for those of you who don't know where that is, which most of us don't, is halfway, I would say, along the 401 quarter, kind of halfway between Toronto and Detroit and kind of south, southwestern Ontario. So um, so tell me about the company. What services do you provide? Size of the company, kind of what does your ideal client look like? So um, the geographic area that we service is basically a triangle from Brantford to Woodstock and up to Waterloo. And we are a small village kind of right down in the middle of all that. So those are all real accessible centers for us, like, you know, 17 minutes kind of to each, each village or each city. We do grass cutting. We do bed maintenance. We do fertilizer, weed control. And we have landscape construction as well. Um, and that runs the gamut from you know, pavers, retaining walls, water features, um, some like arbors, some, some woodworking kind of stuff, fire pits, basically whatever, whatever people are willing to pay us to do, we will typically do it. We, we've done some irrigation. We've decided to take that in the realm where we're going to sub that out for the most part. Um, then we do landscape lighting as well. We have a separate company uh, that just focuses on landscape lighting, low voltage landscape lighting. Through that, we do an awful lot of holiday lighting in November in the fall of the year. So a lot of residential work that way. We do a bit of municipal work that way. And then we do snow and ice management in the winter as well. Okay. Awesome. So quite a big event. What does your ideal client look like? So for our construction side of stuff, uh, most of our construction is residential. Um, so it's typically clients 40 to 60 years old, maybe the empty nesters at the, the later part of their, their career and have some extra money and they want to spend more time in their backyard and enjoy their life at home more. On the maintenance side of stuff, we tend to do better with the um, institutional on the line, like school boards and hospitals, even municipalities in some cases, um, but a lot of um, higher end commercial ones, commercial properties that want to look the best in their neighborhood, that want to have a reputation for being the nicest looking property around. And then there's a few like high-end estates in that as well. So, yeah, the estate properties that kind of catch air as you go by, we don't have a lot of those, but the ones we do, we're pretty proud of and we do a good job with. Okay. okay. So the one thing I really appreciate you, and this is what I really wanted to have you on the podcast is because the kind of the overview topic was offering education to your staff, like ongoing education. So I value um, just the passion you have to educate your staff. So where did that come from was that just something naturally that you want to do is that something are you naturally drawn to education do you like to read like where where did that come from um i don't know <laughs> it could be my mother was a school teacher so that might have had a role in it um i i do believe in education i mean i went to university and got a degree and i know some people would suggest that i'm not using it but i would argue that venomously like there's a lot of skills that i learned that i use today and and maybe it's just I learned how to learn maybe is, is what I'm, what's getting me through today. Uh, a lot of it comes from the fact that, you know, I have a lot of staff that are really dedicated and, and they need, they need leadership and I want to be a good leader for them. And I want to provide them what they need to do their jobs. Um, I think a lot of people, if you, if you let them go, they'll, they'll do a really good job for you. If you empower them, they, they will, because people take pride in their work. They really do. But a lot of times they need a bit of guidance. They need a bit of, 
coaching and mentoring to get to where they need to be. And I want to be able to provide that to them. So I do read an awful lot on leadership books and organizational structures and business books to, to help me be a better boss for them. Cause I think they deserve that. Um, historically I found anytime that I sit down and talk to people about, you know, what, what the parameters are that the company's experiencing and how they need to operate within that and why they need to, and what role they're going to have to affect change people run with it and thrive on it. So it's, I've, I've never had people say, don't teach me anything. It just, it hasn't come up in my experience. Okay. And even before this podcast, we talked about, you know, kind of what, what you're listening to on a podcast, who you're listening to, who you're learning from. Um, so I really always appreciate that. And I love coming into your office to see your, you have a library there that the staff can always pull books from. And I know you read a lot and I, I, you, challenge me to keep ahead because I always feel like I need a book to recommend to you too. So, uh, which is good. I think that's challenging, right? But that's not for most people in our industry, that's not natural. Like I think it does come natural to you. Uh, I see that coming natural to you to want to be able to do that. So, um, so what are you teaching your staff now? Like what would be some examples of education you're offering your staff? So the biggest driver I've got going right now is, is starting with my staff in small groups and taking them to the financial statements of the company. Those are the heart and soul of any business. And it doesn't matter what industry you're in. That's, I mean, everybody goes to work to make some money. And that's how we measure is through the financial statements, right? Um, nobody's ever been taught that for the most part. Like I had a grade 11 accounting course and that was, that was it really. And, and from grade 11 accounting, I don't feel you should be an entrepreneur or you're going to struggle with it. And I did struggle for an awful lot of years, awful lot of years. Um, so I've been taking people through what the difference between a PL is and what a balance sheet is and the different sections of the PL and what their role in that PL is and what their changes, you know, little changes on gross margin that they can affect, how that affects the bottom line and how precarious most businesses are, including ours. Like we have healthy statements, but it's, you know, I heard a statement this morning that said most companies are two bad decisions away from going under. I, I think we might be three and a half, you know, so. <laughs> that buys us a lot more room. That yeah. buys us a lot more room. But, uh, you, know, it, you know, I've sat down with staff, particularly this winter, and gone through it. And the uptake I've had from people is like they, they just drink the knowledge in and they're just flabbergasted by it. And it's, they talk about how their perception wasn't there, but they leave so exhilarated and excited and now when we talk to them about sales goals and margin goals, they understand what that means. So um, as an entrepreneur, as a business person, you're going to use words and verbiage and language that most people don't understand. So, you know, we can stand up in front of our staff and say, this is our sales goal. And if your sales goal is X million dollars, most of your staff are going to believe that means half that money goes right into our pockets. And that's not the case. Yeah. And, and even if the company makes 10% margin, net margin, there's not 10% net cash in the bank account because cash flow and profitability are different things as well. Yeah. So I focused a lot in the last year and I'm going to continue that through this season with making sure our staff understand financial statements, understand what their role is in the company and how their role affects the financial mm -hmm. statements and help them understand why the decisions we make, we do make like purchases we make, purchases we don't make because it's going to affect those, those statements and, and what the, those outcomes are. So you've taken some time to take a division, some division leaders and walking them through this and walking through the education on financials. What do you see? What's the outcome in that? Like, how do you see that in the day-to-day -day stuff? Because I think a lot of owners might see the value in it, but you're being vulnerable with your numbers mm -hmm. as a business. 
but a lot of owners don't trust that that's going to change the way that that division leader may impact the business or decisions they make. So there is a vulnerability to it for sure. Um, and there has to be a trust. I, I feel that the more that our, our field staff and, and leaders understand their effect on the financial statements, the more that they will make decisions as an entrepreneur, as opposed to the guy on the job site. So there's always a balance. I mean, you know, sometimes that decision might be to, to lift and relay a patio that's not done right. There's a cost to that, but there's, there's a cost of leaving it wrong too, right? So, but it gives them the option of making an informed choice and say, what, what effect is this going to have on the company and what effect is it going to have financially? But the flip side of it too is when they start to understand gross margins and how, how much labor and how much material costs the company as far as the bottom line, they're more likely to lift and relay that patio when they're quarter way done as opposed to finishing and going back a week later because the client complained about it mm-hmm. because it's a lot quicker and cheaper to fix it earlier. If they're looking at it from an entrepreneur's point of view, that's the best choice. And that's, that helps culture as well. So it's not all about just dollars and cents. It's always a balance of culture, but you give them the opportunity to make that balanced decision. If you don't let them know what the numbers are, they're going to make it just based on culture and what's good for their crew and their guys' morale. And usually that is the right choice. Yeah. But if you don't give them all the parameters, they're not able to make those decisions. Mm-hmm. So empowering them to know more information, which then trusting them, they're going to make a better decision for the company. Yeah. It's, okay. You have to trust your staff. Okay. So for those of you who don't know you and you can't, we can't physically see you. So how old are you? I'm 47. 47. Okay. So still young. Um, but you know, as uh, a coaching client of ours, um, we've started to talk about an exit strategy for you. Yes. Um, so why, why are you talking about this, I guess, in, in our industry at such a young age? Why is this important to you? Yeah, a lot of it comes up in the last three, four years, maybe five years now. We've had a number of small companies in the area come to us and, and the owners needed out for one reason or another. And they all had different reasons. Um, but in each case, they came to us and I said, okay, so who are your key staff? And they said, well, to be honest with you, amongst three clients, three companies that came to me, one owner said, you should talk to one guy. And of the three companies, there was one guy that the owner said they're worth talking to. And I thought, how do you go to work every day when you don't have any staff that you think are worth worthwhile? I looked at our company and, you know, in the same lens and thought, if somebody wanted to take over our company, they need 98% of the staff that we have here. This just isn't going to function. Like they are, they're what our company is. The same, same owners, you know, they, they had equipment lists. They told me it was all fantastic equipment, but it was stuff that was 10 and 12 years old. Like it was well past the point where we would have sold at auction just to get rid of it. So they didn't have the same business model that way. And they didn't have an exit strategy of any type. So like these were really nice people and good guys and people I've known for a long time that had 20 years to in their business. And at the end of it, they had nothing left to transfer or to pass on. I don't want to be in that position. Um, it's not fair to my clients. It's not fair to our existing staff that work for us. And I've got over 20 years in this and I want to be able to retire and reap the benefits of, of what I've built too. So um, it, it was pretty obvious from talking to other people that this is not something that you can wake up one day and say, yep, it's time to sell. And someone's going to hand you a briefcase of money because you need to have something worth selling. We're doing about $4 million in business this year. We're budget next year is for 4.7, I think. 
some of that territory. So it's it's a big enough company that, you know, value on the company. It's we're also getting to the point where there's fewer people who will be able to take that on. Mm -hmm. If somebody comes to our company and they've got a $200,000 book of business, we can pick it up tomorrow and carry on and everything will be just fine. If they come to us with $2 million, we're going to need some more planning on that. If somebody came to us another $4 million with a business, that's going to take a lot of planning. And it's going to have to be a turnkey business. There's going to have to be key staff involved and things of that. Most of what I was seeing in the industry didn't include that. Mm -hmm. And that scared me because I want to get a return on my investment. Yeah. Okay. And it is, it's very interesting when you, someone is coming to you and you can almost picture yourself. You don't want to picture yourself on the other side of the table when you're talking to them. Um, but we've seen that in the past as well, where, you know, you've, you know, especially when it's a couple that owns a business and they're trying to sell it and there's absolutely no value in it because they haven't maybe given me advice or they're just a great worker and they haven't put all that structure in place. So, so what if, what structure have you put in place to build value? Like, yeah, what have you done to build value within the company then? Like you talked about getting value in the company later on down the road. Yeah. What are those, some of those things you've done? Well, a lot of it was hire key people and let them have responsibility. Because there's only so much one person can do. And, you know, in our case, when we've got a, a staff of about 30 people, we've got over 25 people in the field. I can't manage them all. No one person could manage them all. So to create value in our company, we have to have key people in place to do that. So, you know, that chart of organizational chart that says who's responsible for what. And I can step away and I can take a vacation and the company runs just fine without me. So that's that's really what it is. So that, to me, that's, that's the biggest value in the company is the people. Um, equipment, you can buy and sell equipment any day of the week. And that's, that's easy to do around here. Uh, clients, there's typically more work than there is contractors in this province, I find anyhow. So, but it's key people are, are the, the toughest thing to find, to develop and the main to keep. Um, so if you've got good people, you need to take care of them. They are the value of the company. Did you always think that way? from day one when you started the business or was there some sort of aha moment that you're like, we need to value people? So when I started the company, I mean, it was obviously much smaller. Like uh, the first year I was in business, so we did $98,000 worth of revenue over the course of the year. I remember it vividly because it cost me $102,000 to do that revenue. So it, it wasn't, a lesson. <laughs> wasn't a glorious start. Um, but I, I came from a background where, you know, my father was a really hard worker. My father taught me work ethic. Um, you know, to the point where he, he would work, you know, 12 hour night shift, sleep for 45 minutes and get to go cut grass all day. Cause I, I don't know why, to be honest with you, <laughs> but, he committed to do the job, right? Yeah. He, he committed to do the job and he got it done. Uh, so I learned a great deal of work ethic from him. Uh, I didn't get business background from him though. I didn't. So I had to learn that and learn it the hard way to be sure. Uh, and maybe that's why I keep reading and learning cause, cause I know there's more to learn. So you know, I, I was given the, the work ethic. I wasn't given the background that way. I worked really hard. I cut grass. I, the first year I was self-employed, I think I lost 35 pounds that summer. Like it was just, I just never stopped to eat kind of thing. So, you know, at that point, the company was me. I had some help, but I never had a vision of the future, really. So it was, as, I, as I developed and, you know, we got more and had more people and I made a lot of mistakes as far as not not empowering people and not managing properly. So I went through a lot of people and, and I realized I had to get to the point where I need people who see this not as a job, but as a career. And for somebody to see this career, they have to be able to picture a future where they can buy a house, they can get married, they can have kids and, you know, afford to put clothes in their kids and put them through school. You have to give people a vision of the future if you want them to stay. 
And to do that, you have to invest in people and that's it. Um, so how long ago would you have done, like, is that would have been that like early on in the business or was it just in the last couple of years that you've had that? I probably had that idea where that was important for 10 or 15 years. I would say, you know, I've only been able to implement it where I feel comfortable saying that we're giving people that real good vision in the future, the last, you know, six, seven, eight years. It's hard to, to nail down a point because it's perpetually evolving too. Like every year, I like to think we do a little bit better with it. So I, I don't know that there was a point where this was where it turned around. Mm. It was, I've been at this for over 20 years and every year we do a little bit better. Yeah. I think the one that sticks out for me is years and years ago, I was at Congress in Toronto and one of the speakers I was listening to said, you can train your staff and risk losing them, or you can not train them and risk keeping them. Yeah. You make a choice. Yeah. And that's, that is a choice. Yes. Right. You have to do that. So, well, it's good. So obviously you've gone with the, let's train our staff and keep them. Yeah. Obviously, because we talked about that earlier on the thing. So, so again, we started that question. That was a long way around, but the original (laughs) question was, you're talking about, you know, transitioning, um, mm-hmm. you know, out of the business. So explain the current ownership of the company then. Well, it started, I mentioned uh, back in like 2002, I, I joined partners with um, my business partner and we were partners for 19 years. He, his schooling was actually in greenhouse production and, you know, we're 19 years down the road and he, he wants to be doing that. So he's, he's going to be off and doing his own greenhouse production and we're some supporting on that as best we can and, and we're, we're good that way. Three of our key staff, though, are buying his shares. And so we we had a traction meeting with you a little year and a half ago or almost two years ago now, I guess. And I said at that meeting, like, I, I need an exit strategy at this some point. And I debated whether to say this in front of other people. But I said, I feel my best route out of this company is through employee ownership. And I think there's a lot of benefits to that. So we're in the process now. We're transitioning, you know, John's uh, share of the business to these other three, and this is our first step to employee ownership. So I'm going to have three business partners all within the company at this point. And that's happening as we speak. My goal within the next you know, 18, 24 months is to have a structure in place where we can have more of our staff buy into it. And I envision you know, eight people who work with the company who are also owners and govern the company that way. Okay, so why did you choose um, employee ownership over just selling, just holding on to the company for another 10, 15 years, and then just selling it as a whole? Um, the first would be the unknown, not knowing that there would be a buyer there at that point. So that that was a concern. It's great to have what you consider to be an asset, but if nobody wants to buy it, is it really an asset? So I was worried about that. Um, I've seen the growth of our company in the last 10 years and another 10, 15 years when I want to retire, where is the company going to be at at that point? What is the there aren't a lot of limitations for us, I feel, because I do feel we have a really good team. So I, I anticipate more growth. The more you grow, the more the value there is in the company, the harder it's going to be to find a buyer. Um, it gets back to retention. Uh, we've got good people. We've invested in them. If they're an owner of the company, we've got a much better chance of retaining them. So that's that's a part of it. Um, it's a, It can be a slower transition for me to leave. So I don't need to sell out all my shares at once. I can sell out 5% a year for the next, you know, 10 years. And that could be my exit strategy. And that's easier to find somebody to buy 5% of a company than it is to find 100% of the company. Mm-hmm. And I want to I give stability to our staff. Um, you know, those other companies I mentioned, they all just shut the doors and those people were unemployed. 
I don't think that's fair to our staff. There's a lot of people who have worked a lot of years here and they've helped build the company. I want to know that this company is going to continue on and has the potential to continue for the next 40, 50, 60 years, whatever the case may be. I want it to outlive me. Okay. Um, so I, I think this is a good one to, to reward people um, for the effort they put into the company. It's a way for me to get a financial benefit out of the company as I exit. And it provides stability for not only the staff that are here now, the ones that are coming, provides stability for our clients and provides us with more opportunities to, to grow and expand to other opportunities. Okay. So um, had you seen this done before? Um, is this something you're kind of learning as you go? Like what's like, I remember seeing that being you saying that and I was like, Oh my goodness, that was, that was pretty brave. Of you. <laughs> uh, especially before there was a plan in place, but maybe walk us through how that, how you've done that then. Like how you, how are you evaluating the business? How are you getting these three people bought in that? Yeah. So I, I didn't have a blueprint from somebody else. I don't, I'm sure this has been done. I'm sure I'm not the first one, but I don't have a roadmap from anybody else. Um, so I, you know, I floated out in front of our management team and some of them remembered it and they caught their eye or caught their attention. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it was, it was a calculated risk on my part because I wasn't sure how soon they'd want to react on it. And I thought, well, if I say it and then they come and say they want to do it, I'm going to have to follow through on it. Um, it came from a lack of me not, not seeing a clear path in the industry and not seeing other people exiting any other way with, with great success. Again, I'm sure it has happened. There are a few scenarios where companies have gone generation after generation. I also know of companies that had lots of family involved and the owner just one day sold to somebody else and there's a lot of bitterness left during that office. Um, so I wanted to avoid that too. Um, so this was something that I cooked up in my head as, as the easiest path forward, I guess. So when the opportunity did arise where, you know, things came about where it was going to happen, we started with our accounting firm and they did business valuations on them. So it was third-party independent valuations. They're, it's really thorough process. And that created a value for the current shares. And that's the value we use for the new shareholders to, to buy out the, the partner that's leaving. And, um, you know, it'll be something like that that's going to be our model going forward. So when you buy in and it's nobody's saying, I feel my shares are with this, I feel that. Try to take feelings out of it as much as possible and then uh, go forward that way. So. Okay. Um, during the evaluation, did you learn something about the company? Absolutely. Um, it's a really cool exercise to do. It's, it's, like I said, pretty in-depth. It's not quick, but when they come back and they say, these are the strengths and weaknesses of the companies as they stand right now, um, I, I just zeroed on the weaknesses saying, okay, how do we fix that? Because <laughs> like, if, I mean, you're always looking for ways to improve your company, right? And strengths are great, but they don't help you <laughs> go forward. They make you feel good for about five minutes. And you're like, okay, that's it. Else. But yeah, they, they came up with a few, you know, it's like, you know, is one client too, too much of your book? Is, is one staff member too, too important to the organization? Um, you know, is your asset base, is it assets that hold value or depreciate kind of thing? So there's a lot of a lot of issues like that that are brought up in the valuation and gives you an opportunity to hone in on those ones that are weaknesses and say, okay, so if we if we change our asset base, we change our customer base, we can have more value in this yet too. So. Okay. So it's just good to have a like a third party review the company then and just kind of give you some feedback and what that looks like then. Yeah. So that wasn't the purpose of the document, but when you're, when it's all said and done, you have that document in your hand that outlines all your strengths and weaknesses. And that's a really good tool to have. Yeah. Well, it gives you another, like a couple year plan, 
right? To yep. say, hey, if we work on this stuff, that's kind of what it is. So that's great. Um, so you got an evaluation done. Um, so we know the evaluation for the company. Now, how did you come up with, you have three key people that you are wanting to offer buy-in. Um, how much did they buy in? Did you keep majority of shares? Like, how did you come up with those numbers? Or did they come up with that? Or was it just a normal conversation? Or did you tell them what they wanted? They, the three of them as a group actually approached me about it um, close to a year ago uh, with a plan. And, and their plan was um, for them to, to split up the shares of the other partner. And they were going to give me 1% so that I had majority control of it. So right now it's 50-50 in the company. So as things are falling down, they're, they're each buying 16%, I'm buying 2% just so we have nice round numbers as opposed to splitting one three ways kind of thing. So um, so I'm going to end up with 52% of the company controlling share of it. Okay, and that was the kind of their idea that they came to you and kind of thought that was a good idea. Yep. Then. Okay, that's good. Um, so kind of what have you learned through this process then? Um, we talked a little bit about the benefits of having a third-party evaluation done, but um, what's been good? What's been maybe not so good about it? It's it's been kind of scary. Um, John and I've been business partners for 19 years, and now we're we're not, and that's that's an old habit to break. So, um, you know, we wanted to make sure that the transition was smooth and and peaceful, and everyone was able to go forward with their their life the way that was going to work best for them. So, that's been the biggest stress on it. Um, it's not a small financial transaction either. So making sure everybody can, you know, the three new families that are now counting on the company to, to provide dividends for them, making sure the company can support that. You know, it might not seem like a big change, but before I had to make sure that two ownership families were supported and, and they get supported after the other 30 families in the company get supported. And now I've got four <laughs> that I need to get so a little bit more pressure. So my budgeting process was a little more stressful this year to make sure that, and I know each of those households is taking on a substantial financial burden to buy into those shares. So I have to make sure that those households have the ability to pay back those loans. I feel I do anyhow. Um, someone suggests it's not my problem, but if, if we don't have a plan in place that's going to allow them to do that, then this is going to fail for everybody. Um, so we need to make sure that they have it once once they take their paycheck and dividends and go home and they spend it on whatever, that's up to them. But I have to make sure that they have the opportunity to pay off their financial contribution. Okay. So I know probably the three buy-in or partners are going to be listening to this, but what's the benefit for them? I think the benefit is um, they get to feel a little bit more pride in their work. They're all three that have felt really proud about what they've done and the contributions they've had to the company and seen the growth. Um, I think they're going to feel even more proud of what they've done once, you know, if their if their name owns the logo to a point, you know, like, I don't think I'm phrasing that right, but yeah. I feel they're going to be prouder when they see the trucks rolling around and point out to people that's the company that I work with and work for, and this is what I've done for them. So yeah. there's, there's pride in ownership. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what it, whether it's your house, your car, or, or your business, there's pride in ownership. And it, it gives them the opportunity. There's, there's an awful lot of people and not just in this company, but they work really hard. They treat the companies like their own, but it never is their own. And and I, I feel this is giving them more stability and more opportunity to, to shine. Okay. So um, what would be some advice you would give another contractor um, who is wondering about an exit strategy from their company? So just kind of just generally, obviously you've seen, you've purchased companies before from other people. You're going through this transition um, I think a lot of contractors we talk to, 
there's a whole more, uh, there's a whole mortality type of conversation. Like I don't want to necessarily think about that. Um, but like, yeah, you've just, you've, you've come from this whole conversation in such a proactive way. And I so appreciate that about you, that you've come at it this way. And I think you're going to be more successful in that, but talk to the contractor just doesn't know where to start. Um, so at first, I don't know if I can give advice because we're not through this yet and we don't know that it's a success. <laughs> <laughs> we'll check back in with you in three months, but well, so maybe, far. maybe three years and we'll see where we're at. Right. So I, I have high hopes for this. Okay. So, um, but no, I, I think you owe it to like, like everyone, they put a lot of effort into their company, a lot of blood, sweat and tears. I was grossly underpaid for, for decades. I want an opportunity to recoup that. If I don't have an exit strategy, I don't know that I ever will. Um, so I think you owe it to yourself to, to know that you're not going to outlive your company or like, I don't want to die cutting grass. You know, I want to have my golden years. I want to spend time with my wife and grandkids when that comes. There's no grandkids yet. My, my children are far too young. Yeah. <laughs> are you making an announcement on the podcast? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that's, that's the dream, you know, like, um, so it's, and I, I think we owe it to our staff. Um, you know, I, I heard a phrase earlier today that, we might be the owners of our company, but we are not our company. Uh, my company would not exist if it wasn't for the staff. And if, if I have an opportunity to give them more opportunities to recoup that, that after they put into it, I win by that. Like there's, there's just no question about it. Um, we will have opportunities to do more stuff to provide more opportunities to everybody else. Back to your question, the advice I would give them, like, yeah, if, if you've got years into the, your business, how are you going to recoup that, that investment? Because the, the recoup is not just your wages or your dividends. It's your, your sweat equity that you put into it. And do you want to re- recoup that? And do you want to risk losing your staff year after year because they've got a better offer somewhere else? Or if the ones who want the responsibility, give it to them, share it with them. Your life will be better for it. Okay. Well, that's some great advice. Um, so we're just going to take a quick break from here from one of our sponsors, but we'll be right back. It's fitting that Sandler Training is our sponsor for an episode about company culture. Everyone knows that company culture is set by the leadership team. A great culture will attract, retain, and grow A players, allowing the company to prosper. The question is, when did you last work on your leadership skills to intentionally build the company culture you desire? Sandler Training has the answer. Their Leadership for Organizational Excellence program gives you the tools and information you need to start or continue creating a great company culture a destination company for great staff. We highly recommend Sandler Training. We also highly recommend and respect Andrew Wall and the results he gets for his clients. If you'd like to talk to him about how he can help you develop your leadership skills, contact him at 905-691-4553. That's 905-691-4553. Or email him at andrewwall@sandler.com. Andrew Wall, W-A-L-L at sandler.com. And now back to Grant's conversation. Okay, welcome back everyone. Um, So yeah, so we're sitting down with Ryan Johnson from Mountain View Landscapes and uh, just had some great conversations about education, uh, owner transition, owner buy-in. And uh, so uh, Ryan, this has been, so much of it has been personal. Um, and this one more than some of our other podcast guests have been, but um, just we ask all our podcast guests this, but who or what are you currently learning from in your personal life or in your business life? 
So I guess uh, personally, I've been been reading a fair bit about Stoicism lately and the philosophy of Stoicism and learning a bit about that. So that's that's been interesting and and just you know a philosophy on how you should live your life and so that's been helpful. Professionally, um, you know, I, obviously we use consulting like yourself. Um, we've used other programs like Stanley program. We still got staff involved with that. Um, and you know, Landscape Ontario is always a tremendous resource for anybody. Um, you know, especially in the last year, they Landscape Ontario did a phenomenal job of, of keeping people informed as to what the industry was going through with the shutdowns and COVID regulations and the task force they put together on that. I just can't say enough about the effort that they put out for everybody in the the number of seminars and webinars that you were able to uh, to use to help the guide through it because that was a pretty lonely time last year when the shutdown came and we were all sitting there office wondering what do we do now so it was good to, to be able to communicate with other people so there's a wealth of resources around us if you want to learn there's lots to learn and if you feel you know too much then maybe you need to reevaluate that yeah. um so okay so what's one book or habit that has the most amount of impact? Because there's lots of books you've read, mm-hmm. but what would be one book that would stick out or a habit that sticked out for you with, in your business? Um, so there's been a lot of good books that I read and reread. Like, um, you know, one I hear mentioned a lot is Good to Great by Jim Collins. That's that's a fantastic one. Uh, the Great Game of Business by Jack Stack. On a, like almost a fictional one, the, the one that probably changed my life the most was Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. Ayn Rand. Um, and it's a lot of people will get their backup about that because she had a very definite um, philosophical view on life that I don't necessarily agree with. But the biggest thing out of Atlas Shrugged that I took away from it is if, if you do work for somebody, it's okay to ask them to pay you for it. So a lot of people get hung up on money and feel awkward about money and don't like making collection calls if somebody hasn't paid you. But if you've provided a service or a product for them, it's okay to say, I would like money back for that. Yeah. Don't be afraid to put that call in. Don't be afraid to ask for money if you've earned it. Mm-hmm. And that was, there was, you know, head trash is a phrase that get heard a lot of when it comes to money. And reading that book cut through a lot of that head trash for me. Well, that's good. It is. And that is hugely important. And it seems basic, but so many contractors, general contractors, uh, struggle with that right and it's a lot of how we grew up how our parents taught us about the value of money or what money means or all that type of stuff so that's a good one mm-hmm. okay and then um we're you mentioned we're recording this in the spring of 2021 um we're just kind of on that whatever 53 weeks of covid um the thing that doesn't seem to go away but uh, we've made it through uh, we made it through the winter we're in the beautiful sun today so what's one thing you're currently thankful for uh, for your personal life and then for the business? Um, personally, uh, nobody in my life has been dramatically affected by COVID. I've known a few people who tested positive or basically asymptomatic. I do know people, um, you know, a, a distant friend that I'm not very close with, lost both his parents to COVID. So it hasn't affected me, but people people did die and are still dying. And that's that's tragic. And it's 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 just tragic. I don't know how else to prevent it. So I'm very grateful that 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 hasn't impacted me that way yet. So uh, business wise, I'm really grateful that uh, we were shut down for a little bit last spring, but we were the first industry that Ontario opened up again. Grateful for that, and very grateful that I've been able to continue working and keep our staff working for the last year. Um, I, I have tremendous sympathy for people who are in businesses that that haven't been that lucky. I can't imagine what it'd be like to own a restaurant now and and try and get out of bed in the morning. It must be very, very difficult. So 
really grateful professionally that I'm in a business that's allowed to, to operate. Mm-hmm. It, it's a bit of a guilt too, I think, for a lot of people in the industry because we have been blessed because most of the contractors out there right now, like we're just the beginning of April and most guys are sold for like half the season on the landscape construction. Um, but yeah, if you look around the other industries, uh, we're looking into another round of shutdowns again in the economy and that just got to be so hard, right? So we've yeah. been blessed um, that people want to stay home and because they're staying home, they're willing to spend money with us. So that's been very thankful for that. Right. So, and that's been the other side of it too. Like you mentioned, like the industry has done really well because people are spending money on their homes. So there is lots of work available and it's, it's nice work and it's, mm-hmm. yeah, I do feel really bad for a lot of people. Yeah. But I, I heard early on that um, like really a lot of landscaping is recession proof, right? Like grass always needs to get cut and snow mm-hmm. always needs to get plowed. So um, so at least that part is kind of, it is almost recession proof. Um, may not be as profitable sometimes, but it always needs to get done. But yeah, we just, it's been a crazy year as far as that goes. So, so I'm actually, Ryan, I'm going to ask one more thing of you. So how, how over the last year, it's been a fairly emotional year, like up and down. Like you said, a year ago, you like, you were shut down, not knowing how the business goes. You don't know I'm asking this question. So I can see the panic on your face. <laughs> of it. Um, but just kind of like, how are you leading? Like, how are you showing um, that leadership within the team despite everything that's going on? What are you doing to bring a smile and, a, and show confidence to your team? Um, I, think, I think the key is I, I feel comfortable in numbers. So when I go to a team with a plan, I always have a plan behind it and I have numbers. And I say, this is where I thought things are going to be difficult. This is where I think it's going to be good. This is how we're going to counter the difficult portions of it. And there's usually something I miss and we talk about that too, but I, for me, it, it's planning. It's it's having a budget in place for the year. It's having a plan. You know, it always starts with the budget for me, and then it go from there. It goes out to the people it's going to take to, to execute that, and then it's what tools and equipment are they going to need to execute that too, and we build it out from there. And it, it's a plan. Um, I know when the, when we were shut down, I was having a tremendous amount of anxiety. Didn't know what to do. I would just sat at my desk and looked at it, and you know, as our office manager said, "Okay, put together the next three months budget." Okay, yeah, I can do that. And and three hours later, I had it done and everything was okay. okay. And I knew it was okay. And she said, yeah, I knew you would feel better when you did that because you like numbers and I like a plan. I like to know there's a plan there. You know, when I go out and if I drive somewhere, I never want to drive the same way twice. I don't necessarily need a plan. But when I've got 30 households that are dependent on me, I want a plan because <laughs> I don't want to mess that up. So, okay. so having a budget having just some numbers, having some solid concrete foundation that you can go back to yeah. helps you on that. So, yeah. Okay. Got to start with a plan. The plan might change, but you got to start from somewhere. No, I appreciate that about you. And, and like I said, you've been so positive through this year when we've been working with you and, and you have such an amazing team. Uh, and, you know, this, the team has been awesome through this transition and it's been so great to work with you and your team on this. I appreciate, again, your your desire for education, your desire to help your team grow, the desire that you're willing to, you know, have people buy into it, your vulnerability um, that you've been doing that just by even saying in the, in the one meeting, listen, I want to do employee ownership, not having a plan. <laughs> yeah. right? So that's what that is a bit weird because you didn't have a plan when you said that. But that was a 10 year goal at that point. Okay. It, it morphed into 10 months <laughs> or maybe more than that. But yeah, it's, that's, it's okay. 
Yeah, it's good. So no, I just really appreciate you. So again, we thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Uh, we just, I've learned a bunch of myself today and I always appreciate you. Um, you know, Ryan is one of those, uh, Ryan is one of those owners right now, or Mountview has become one of those companies that we knew back when we had the contracting firm and, and we were green and they were green. And now um, I said, I said this to Ryan the other day, I'm like, you are becoming an industry leader. People are looking up to you now. Um, and I think that's really important and because you've offered the leadership, because you've built this team around you and because even the fact that you're doing, you know, just having people buy in, people are going to start to look up to you and say, hey, you know, this is something that the industry is doing. You're leading the way in that. And I think that's really important. And that's why it was so important for you to be on the podcast today. And thank you for sharing that with us. And, uh, and maybe we'll check in in a couple months and maybe, or three years. Yeah, give it a few years and let's see what that sounds like. See where it goes. But yeah. uh, again, thank you so much for taking the time today and uh, just sharing your story with us and uh, kind of what's, what's going on. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Nextra Presents. If you enjoyed the episode, it would really help us if you would leave a five-star rating and review the podcast. While you're at it, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. If you want to contact us, please visit our website at nextraconsulting.ca.